So our outcomes, um, discuss singleness and its meaning, um, describe lessons learned in singleness, and explain the role of singles in the missionary workforce. Um, and so those are kind of the, the themes that we're going to be talking about. So now, just what every, I, I'm a faculty, so just what every faculty does at a time like this, we're putting you in groups of people, and what are the three top questions you want answered? Last year we did something, uh, did this um, similar talk, but I, what I left not certain, I answered people's questions. So get into small groups, um, just turn around or whatever, and say, what, what are some questions you have that you need to have answered? And if you put them, write them on a piece of paper, you can bring them up here, and then we'll be certain that we answer them because this is why we're here is to learn, okay? So you have about five minutes. I know it's early, but move, turn around. About one more minute. So it sounds like you had a robust conversation, and I'm certain that there are some questions out there that you would have. Um, so some of you had papers to write on. You want to bring pass them to the center, please? So for myself, I never imagined myself single um, all my life. Um, I never felt the call to be single. Like one day I woke up and God said, you're going to be single. Um, I, never, I never had that. Um, but what I had was a call from God to serve him. And so my call was to serve him, and then the next call was to serve him overseas. And so I followed that trajectory. And, uh, and I don't know if I ever really realized that I might be single all of my life. I don't think I ever woke up one day and said, oh, my goodness, this is going to be for life. I, I don't think I ever did. Um, I've had to process being single more being at Indiana Wesleyan because I was asked on a regular basis to come to a marriage and family class to speak on singleness. So, I, you know, marriage and family, you have to cover singleness as well. And so... I was the one who came in and talked about being single and answered the questions of the students and all. So that was always interesting. So I actually had to process being single later when I was having to describe how it happened and what it meant and how God called me to serve him. And then everything else, that was the main reason that I ended, that I'm single, is I followed in his footsteps. Now, people always ask, um, have you ever been proposed to? I get that. I, yeah, I've been asked that. Yes, I have. Um, one time in a library, a guy came up to me and said, would you marry me? <laughs> and one time in Africa, I was sitting on a small little bench with another missionary. We were examining a um, missionary nurse, and we were examining this um, patient, this a child that had a problem. And a guy came up and sat right down next to me and said, would you marry me? No. And went on. <laughs> Literally. I said, like, really? So, yes, I've been proposed to, but never seriously proposed to. Okay? <laughs> but, I mean, it just happens randomly, I guess. So I don't know if anybody else has those sort of things happening, but it was like, really? I didn't know how he knew I was single, actually. <laughs> so... But maybe, actually, the village chief of that village, he was looking for a white wife. 
it wasn't him. So I said to the other nurse, I said, I've been proposed to already. You get to be the wife. I mean, it's true. And those were all the terms that were being used at the time. Now we think about that and we think, oh, my goodness, you know, how careful we have to be with the terms we use and everything. But that, those were the terms that were being used back in the day is, yeah, do you, you know, I'm looking for a white wife. He had three other wives, and now he wanted another one. And so I said, that wouldn't be me, Marion. You can do that. But she said no as well. So, so what are some of the – oh, they're, they're collecting the questions. Um, yeah? Great questions. Let's – and I don't have a long thesis on what the Bible says about being single. But is there a biblical basis to being single? So one is not sinning when one stays single. Do people agree with that or not? There are people in the world that don't agree with that. There are cultures in the world that, and there are some even evangelical groups that feel that if you're not married, that that could be sin. Unless you stayed under authority of your father forever and ever and ever. When I was growing, when I was at Bible college in Minnesota, there was a speaker that kind of, that, that was saying that. And I'm thinking like, no, I don't think so. But, um, so there are people who would say or who think or may think in their mind and there's really no, there is no biblical basis for that. There is no basis. In fact, what does Paul tell us to do? Paul in Second Corinthians talks about singleness. And that's usually the passage that people talk about is in Second Corinthians about being single. But every individual is a, that's a, God, a child of God is called to serve God. And after that, other things happen. Like maybe marriage will happen, maybe marriage won't happen. But it's all within the call of God. And until we wrestle with that idea, we're, there's a lack of contentment. And um, Paul says to be content in whatever state. And I don't think he was saying Indiana, Kentucky, or anything like that. <laughs> and whatever state. And so there's a contentedness that needs to be there. Um, in my talks, when I would talk at, as a, for, from a single perspective in marriage and the family, I would, um, I would talk about how everybody needs to be content independent. A lot of college students, and I know I'm talking to a, some college students who are recently graduated, I can tell, because of my age and your age, um, and they go from being cared for by mom and dad to going to college and having every meal prepared for them. Now I'm thinking specifically for guys, but, and then, but, I'm sorry, and then getting married and having every meal prepared for them. And I had two brothers, one brother who went away to college, and he lived independently, and he learned to sew, and he learned to cook, and he did all that, and he's much more independent in his life, now married and children and all, than my brother who did that, you know, left home, got married. He lived at home while he went to school, and then, and his wife does the cooking and the, all of those other things. Because he has never really ever had to live independently and know what it's like. So for the females do the same thing get married, 
And then my one thing I've said many times was, when I had car trouble, that's when I really wished I was married. I mean, that, really, I like to just say, honey, take these keys, go and fix it. Till I got and was living next to a missionary couple with children in DRC, and she didn't. Took them up to the, she did the car off to the garage and did all of that. I'm thinking, well, there goes that desire, you know, like she doesn't. He had no interest in going, taking the brakes to be fixed or anything. She, that was part of her, and he did something else. And so it's like, well, maybe it's, because that's kind of the role we put people in. Oh, if I only had somebody to change this tire, to, to go do the car, well, it's not always how it really works. So, And females do the same thing, but then when it comes time to mowing the lawn or doing all those other things that one has to do if one remains single, you have to learn those things. So I always really believe, and I've told this to all the college classes, that that it's really good to be independent, non-married, on your own, to learn how to live contentedly and learn how to navigate what you need to navigate on your own, if that's what God wants you to do. But this, like going from mom to food service to marriage uh, without ever having to even figure out how to run a household or do anything, I find that's a disadvantage. And especially as a, if you're thinking of missions, God's calling you towards missions, it's definitely, I think, a disadvantage because you need so many skills when you get overseas the things you'd never really think about, that you're either learning there or maybe um, you learned at home. Now, because of my age, I grew up in northern Minnesota, and we cooked on a wood cook stove. That was, I mean, I was, I was back in the day. We also didn't have running water till I was 18. But all of those things became very useful when I moved to DRC, and I lived out in the rural area, and there was no running water, and we cooked on a wood cook stove. So we were getting unexpected guests, and we had no bread. And I said, oh, just bake bread. And they said, what? I said, I can bake bread. I bake bread and wood cook stuff. You can do this? Yes. So God prepared me to go live. I wasn't living in a five-story, you know, a ten-story building in Tokyo, Japan, where those skills weren't necessary. I was actually living in Africa where the skills that I, God had me living through, which growing up was never fun, having an no running water, but it was the reality that I, you know, lived, and then I could see later how God prepared me, so the, the things that you're doing now prepare you for the, as, as you're walking his path, prepare you to whatever he's calling you for, he's not going to just send you off to some country and say, go figure out how to do it, I mean, he's equipping you to do it. You're here to be better equipped. So you're making the right steps to be better equipped. So as we talk through these questions for a bit, um, here the, examine the challenges of being a single missionary and discuss the joys of being a single missionary because there are great joys. There's problems, but there are also great joys. And I think when we think about being single, we tend to go, oh, what am I going to miss out on? And why am I doing this? And this is going to be a pain, but I have to follow God's will, I guess. So I will, but maybe not really joyfully, but I can. So there are a lot of joys of being single as well. Um, 
So let's answer some questions. We'll answer three or four questions right off the bat. There were a lot of similarities. That probably doesn't surprise you because, I mean, a lot of the same questions. How do you live well in the tension of desiring marriage yet being content in Christ? Would you guys like to answer that one? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a challenge. Actually, close oh. to me. Yeah, oh, God, because to you. Okay, here we go. Uh, it's a challenge. Um, you know, I thought, well, as I got older... Uh, Well, my plan, I went to Kenya for two years. I made a two-year commitment. And then um, I had a year of Bible college, a diploma in nursing. Then I planned to go back, get my bachelor's degree, get my bachelor. Um, And here I am, 39 years later, uh, skipped the bachelor. And skipped the bachelor's degree, I have a master's. um, And I served the master, that's what I tell people. But, um, But there's still that desire. I think some people think, I had someone ask me a few years ago, um, when were you called to singleness? And I said, never. And she was, <laughs> and I was like, I'm not. Um, you know, God put that in our heart to have a family. But he's blessed me with a great family. And I think that's, you have to have not just your biological family and sometimes not just your mission family, but your, like for me, my Kenyan family. Um, another one said, you know, giving up that thought of children, you know, as you age. And, you know, I did mourn the loss. I'm a pediatric, I've done pediatrics for 40 years as a nurse. I love children. And so giving up that I would have my own child, although I also had to deliver babies. And I was like, well, there's not all, it's not all bad. (laughs) But, But I mourned that loss and God gave me other children to be my children. Um, so I think you need to, like Barbara said earlier, not look at the negatives all the time, but look at the positives. And um, as some tell me, I have more children than any of the missionaries on our field. Um, and I've been very blessed, and I'm so thankful for that. So I think knowing that it's a, it doesn't ever, at least for some of us, ever totally go away, even as I'm thinking of retirement in a few years, It'd be nice to have that man to help. And even Monday when I go back to Kenya, I'd really love that man to lug the luggage, you know. <laughs> but, but God um, gives you that contentment, and there's times where I'm fine, and there's other times where I'm just like, you know, one of the newest ones coming on our team just got engaged, and I was like, now this isn't fair, Lord. There's four of us. She's number four. She's the baby. And she gets the man, you know. <laughs> but be, be real with it and be real with God. He listens when we fuss and complain, um, but he also blesses us so much as we do his work. So does that, does that answer it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Another one? Safety. Safety. How to, how okay. How to address safety for single women. Okay. That would be a good yeah, one for you. Yeah, it's being in North Africa, not saying her country name or anything. So um, she's in that, that sort of location. So. so the question, I saw a lot of questions regarding safety, especially for women and being single. Where is it safe to go? Are there places not safe to go? Um, my policy is, is that God has given us brains. He has given us counsel. We need to be wise. 
but really the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. So I don't think there's a place that you can't be called to go. I do think there's places where you will go that perhaps you're not being obedient, and then that may not be a safe place for you. But if you are going where God wants you, he will provide the people that you need. And that looks in North Africa in an Islamic nation where it's a very hierarchical society. Single women do not drive in their culture. Um, Single women do not live alone in their culture. Uh, There's a lot of stigma against single women because in their culture they should be staying under their parents' roof or their uncle's roof or their brother's roof until they're married. So that is something to consider where you live. What are the cultural contexts? Thankfully, I live in the capital, and so they understand that I'm a foreigner. I'm not under the same cultural rules. So I do drive. I do live alone. Um, but I am, I am wise. I have a guard that lives at my house um, with his wife, so we have safety in numbers. Um, I make sure that I text my teammate when I'm going to be out after dark let them know that I get to the location when I'm leaving, when I get home. Um, I try to just use some wisdom in just uh, basic safety precautions that everybody should do overseas, not take the same route every time. So just uh, really being careful of how we live um, so that our we're not doing anything also that is compromising our testimony. So I don't have single men come to my house when I'm alone. Um, I try to be very cautious um, in just maintaining a high standard just as a Christian. But as far as safety goes, depending where you are, you are going to have to think through some of those things. I think, I think another couple things are that be a part of a team. Um, God doesn't plan for us to go alone. And... I actually ended up being alone with um, just a couple Kenyans um, as my teammates uh, for seven years. And then God brought Jennifer and um, April to join me. And I, was, it, it's, I realized I should have been more aggressive. In, and we're also looking for more peds and family nurse practitioners um, <laughs> to help us with orphans in Nairobi. They're very cute. And, um, but, but be part of a team. Help people to know where, you know, we, like she said, tell people where you're going. Do a course and learn personal safety. Um, you know, learn how to whack somebody if they are going to try. I mean, you know, be, be proactive in your safety. And like she said, God gave us a brain. Use it. Um, so. Yes? I, I will repeat the question so it's heard. So, yes? Am I allowed to make a comment about it? Yeah, can you come up here to make the comment so that everybody can hear you? Uh, yeah. I'm a little bit shy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is really nervous. <laughs> you do well. You do well. Your name? Uh, I'm Hee. I'm um, I'm from South Korea, and I and my husband actually are married. Uh, we're working in Bangladesh. We worked about slightly less than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Well, as what you said was really excellent. And on top of that, I just want to add up, uh, listen your seniors, uh, missionaries, what they really say. Don't feel too much humiliated or patronized. You're not really child, but you must feel like a child. You must listen to what the seniors saying. Uh, they're not really treating you as a child, 
but they want to help you, they want to protect you, because they've been there more times than you, so they know what is good for you. So, well, at the beginning, you would feel like, oh, you know, I'm big. I'm, yeah, I know, I graduated and I'm clever. I know what I'm doing, but still in a new context, a new country, uh, be careful and listen what the seniors are saying. That will help you a lot. Thank you. No, that was great. That, I mean, that, that's very, that's really important. Yeah. Um, Indiana Wesleyan has had a semester abroad in Haiti for several years, and this last spring we had to evacuate everybody out. So you also have to have a plan. If you're there by yourself, you have, it's not recommended, but you need a plan. And the mission, or the Indiana Wesleyan in this case, had a plan. Um, we had evacuation insurance. Anywhere we're going, we have evacuation insurance. So you make plans that if something happens, who would have thought that's what's going on in um, a couple of the South American countries that have been really stable, and then all of a sudden Bolivia um, – they didn't like who was elected, I think, and now all of a sudden I'm getting texts or emails about things that are going on. So you never know. Just because it's a good country today, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so you need to have all of these plans for safety planned out ahead of time. Um, when I worked in the DRC, it was very stable. I was in the south, um, well, I was out at the Atlantic Ocean, close to there. I was in a tropical rainforest. And I was going to run a guest house. I was coming away from the hospital for one summer. They needed someone to run the guest house in Boma. And so they said, you know, you're going to do it. And they said, and by the way, over here is airline fuel. So if you have to be evacuated... And the plane has to come and pick you up here. We have fuel on hand because the pilots won't come here unless they know we have fuel. I had no idea that we were even going to, they were even thinking about that. But the senior leaders always have a plan. And because I was doing this role, that they, uh, they shared it with me. But for me, it was like, really? Wow. I had never thought of that. So really what was said about senior leaders, they plan, they, um, they know what's going on much more than many of us who have been, maybe I, I think I had been there about five or six years and I would have never thought about it, but the, Cabinda was the country right north of us and there was always a little bit of pro, tension with Cabinda at that time, and so, but it didn't affect us. But once you take a different little bit of a different role, then all of a sudden then you have to know what is going to happen. Um, and it can happen so suddenly. My evacuation experience was on a Sunday afternoon. We took somebody to the airport to fly to another country in Africa. And the next morning we get called by the U.S. Embassy and said, don't leave your house because there's rioting going on. What? And it was at that moment that um, people, the soldiers who hadn't been paid for years and years or months and months and months, decided they were going to cause problems. So... I mean, it can happen that quickly. So, you know, the U.S. Embassy, everybody knows where we are when we're in country, hopefully, that they can call us, get us information. And I was back in the day when there were no cell phones, okay, and no WeChat and no WhatsApp or any of those things. So we were on two-way radios getting messages. But there was a plan, and that was on a Monday, and by Tuesday we were in a safe location, and I was home on Saturday. 
And everybody thought, oh, I bet you you're glad, but I wasn't. I mean, that's another whole story about the emotional trauma that can happen when you should be happy that you're out of danger, but you know all your your friends and the people you're working with are still in the danger. And so that's, that's another whole topic. But safety is critical, and plans are critical. And the recommendation, don't go by yourself. Yeah, don't become a cowboy. I'm off to myself. I can go and do this. I mean, teams, that's really the, there's a team effort in missions these days. And it's really important to have that and have plans of security in what to do when something happens. So that's all part of the planning that goes on before you go and then as you're there. So, okay? Thank you. I think we'll talk about some of the challenges. Um, So I contacted my friend um, in one of his challenges. I said, what was your greatest challenge and struggle? And he says, well, loneliness isn't usually one of my main complaints. I'd be lying if I said that it isn't at times difficult. As a single man, I think there is even more pressure coming from other Christians, be those nationals or Americans. It is as if there is the real belief that a single man can't live in holiness. So he's living um, in West Africa. Uh, He is now the team leader. Um, So he does a lot about security. Um, And these are the sort of things that happen that are totally outside of one's realm. A nice group of people came to visit the hospital and showed the hospital, did did a video, and they captured it, and they talked about it. Um, and the next thing you know, some of the rebels in the area were playing this video and because it said they were Christians and they were this. Now, they don't deny that they're Christians, but they also don't put it across um, the airwaves either. And so they had to really have new security plans and new things had to happen. And they were really they actually evacuated for a while to another country just because of this video that was made by a nice group of people. And because we live more in security, especially in Indiana and Kentucky or wherever, we don't always think about, if I say this, what may be the consequence for somebody who's living in another country? We recently had a couple visit the church, and um, the person wanted to put in the bulletin from where, where were they from. I said, just say East Asia, but where are they from? East Asia. They're from East Asia. And that's, that was what they wanted to be known. That's what they're known as. But that's not enough sometimes for people. But that's all they got was East Asia for the bulletin and for different things. Now, once they got there, they actually verbalized their country by name, but they didn't want it in papers or on the, you know, welcome to the missionaries from in, in the home, to, in, in town where they're speaking. So, in many ways, we have to rethink, recalibrate. Now, I think you, many of you, have had that just because of how life has been more in the United States. But, you know, before 9-11, we would have never thought of any of these issues, or many, many of those things. And now you've grown up, many of you have grown up just through that. So you're much more aware of it um, than some of us when we first went overseas and I mean, there was no questions. You just went overseas. So there's a whole different life now. So challenges, uh, loneliness can be. And um, pressure coming from 
both the nationals and and the um, the American. He's an American. Now, what's interesting when there were so many single missionary women at the hospital where I was working and stuff, it was just like, oh, that's part of their culture. You know, it's cultural to be single. From from the U.S., that's just a cultural thing. Here in our culture, you can't be single. But there, that's just because, you know, you try to explain to them it's a God called me to serve here. And, yes, yeah, so I'm single. But, um, and then what really blew it for us was a single lady, really blew it, a single lady who came home and, Got married and had twin boys, and when she went back for the, her second term, she comes back with a husband and two babies. And then it's like, who can up that one? Who can, who, who can match that? Not many of us could. But, I mean, they really thought that was really special. So maybe it's not only their culture. They maybe do, but get married. But, so it, it, the, the loneliness can be, but part of being content where one is in one in one being is part of learning how to grapple with loneliness. What do you do when you're lonely? And people aren't lonely. I mean, we are alone sometimes, but often we don't know because we have our cell phone or we can call somebody and we have constant noise and sound. And so it kind of prevents us sometimes from thinking about, I'm really lonely even with all my access to all my things, I still am really lonely. But we don't allow ourselves to feel that often. If you ask people, your friends, loneliness, some of them will say, oh, I'm lonely all the time. And you wonder why, because there's people around them and they're, you know, they're people they could talk with. So, I don't, I, it's hard sometimes for me to understand the loneliness that is going on these days when there's so many people that are here to help or to care for or work with or encourage. But loneliness seems to be, and I didn't really feel loneliness. There were enough people around. Sometimes it was like, just let me go to my room and be quiet for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Um. I'm an extrovert in the highest, and my baby sister is an introvert in the highest. And she's really been struggling with loneliness. Well, for me, she lives in America. Um, I'm in Kenya. But I'm like, invite people over. I mean, you know, you have to make relationships, and you can't expect the families to always invite you. You have, and so Christmas Eve evening was when my family always celebrated Christmas. And so I made it a tradition once I lived alone in Kenya because I shared a home for several years. But um, two family things we did was make cookies and have a family cookie-making time and also um, do Christmas Eve supper. So I had a tradition that I made cookies with some of the MKs, and then they took some home. And then Christmas Eve I had families that would come and singles to my home. So you also, in the loneliness, need to sometimes be proactive. And I know for you introverts, I can't totally understand you, but, <laughs> but you can do it. Um, and maybe it'll be a, a, a national family. Um, I have a Kenyan daughter, um, her dear husband. Uh, they work at Tenwick Hospital, they're both nurses. And um, he has two mothers in law. <laughs> and her son said to her one time, how do you have three mothers? 
you know, and which one had you in the belly? You know, and how did you get a white one? <laughs> but I'm their grandma, you know. So it's you know, God gives helps you in that loneliness. But they're even my outgoing self. Um, I have a big apartment, so I have a lot of visitors in my home. And I'll be like, thank God, the last one left. I have two weeks with nobody. And then after a day, I'm like, oh, it's lonely here. You know, I'm like, what is wrong with this? But, yeah, God helps you and gives you that alone time sometimes, but also look for ways to incorporate, you know, and to not be lonely. Um, And not just do it online. Do it with real people where you are. Sorry, I'm old, I know, but... It is true. Um, one thing that I see in today's world is the ready access to all of the Internet and everything. I took a group of students with me to Kenya, and uh, we were at um, Kijabi Hospital. And um, they kind of walked onto the plane in the U.S. texting, and they walked off the plane texting uh, in Kenya. And then they were so like, how do I get contact? And finally I had to sit down and talk to them. Um, especially the one, but we did it as a group, and I said, we're here to be with Kenyans. Um, You need to focus on the people we're with now, and when you go home, you can be in contact. So the one student said to me, I don't know if you've ever been in love, but I'm in love. (laughs) Truth. And so I um, looked across the table to the other team leader, and she just kind of like shook her head like, don't go there. (laughs) And I said, but I can tell you that when I first went overseas, my contact with my parents was was through a letter. And my mother would write a letter, and she would airmail it, to Kinshasa, the capital city, and then it actually went on a train to Boma, to to, uh, Matadi, and then from there a boat, literally, to Boma, and then a bus to Chela, and then a bicycle that we'd send a guy twice a week to go pick up mail. I can remember the phone call I got. I was in Boma for over holidays, and my parents called. It was like year three my parents called. Finally, a phone call got through. And so I told them this, and I said, and God was faithful, and he will be faithful for you as well. She really wanted to go home, and it wasn't a possibility for her to go. We were only going to be there, I think, ten days. So I know. So she made it the 10 days. We go over to the MK school, and um, I introduced them to a friend of mine. And she would talk to her parents. That She was from Mozambique. She'd talk to her parents like every Saturday. Um, and they got online to, like, they could now t- email their family. And this one girl was just crying. And so I walk over there and think something had happened at home. And she said, well, my mother thought that something had happened to me because she hadn't heard from me for two days. And it was, like, frightening for the mother back home. So as we go, we have to also educate the families at home that you may not have Wi-Fi for three days, and you're still living. (laughs) 
I mean, li- really. But the end result is when people come home and they say, oh, let me tell you about my time in Kenya. Oh, you texted everything to me. I, they're not interested. Because they've heard every detail on every text or every email or every phone call that, of every day. So when you get home, there's really nothing to talk about anymore. You've told me all this. Every day you were gone, you were in contact with me. And I find that students don't have an opportunity to come home and really talk about what they experienced verbally because they've already told them about all the fun things they saw or the things they did or their problems. And it's like, oh, that's all old news. That was five days ago, and you've told me this on you know, the text or the email or whatever. So communication is one of those big issues, and I'm not talking just for singles now, for everybody, for anybody for short term. I mean, on, on the plane, off the plane, they were more concerned about that. And so there wasn't an engagement with the local people. And they were there for their transcultural nursing, and they had to observe and work and do some things. But it was like they were more engaged with people at home. So had that conversation, things got better. Um, and they became more engaged. We were staying in a guest house, and there were Kenyans in the guest house. And they, I mean, so they barely interacted with them. And so we got out some of those different games that are always in every guest house with three pieces missing usually, but there, there are games. And so we started playing games with the other people that were there. And then there was better interaction. But it, it, you have to work at it because it would be easy just to have the five students sitting here doing their own thing and then the Kenyans over here doing their thing. So we really have to work at building relationships. Even if on a short-term experience, you still have to work on building those relationships. I have a student back here who um, was in Haiti, and uh, we, when we, we did a semester abroad, you know, there's like seven big tables or whatever. And so after the first couple of days, I'd go along and say, you guys, you have to mix up. Because there's visitors from all over, from Scotland, from the States. I mean, there are visitors from all over. The fantastic stories you could hear in a guest house, in a mission guest house. You'd be, it's so surprising. And I'd say, you guys got to move to other tables. Don't just sit as a block, didn't I? Yes, I did, because I want them to know the stories of other people who are going to be passing through for five days or ten days. And the experience, I, I was down in the lower part, I mean, down in the bush, and the number of people that came through, just passing through, no, you're not. I mean, you have to really work hard to get here, but there were so many people from various groups. We had somebody from the U.S. Embassy come and stuff, and it's like, no, just wanted to know what was going on, and okay. But there you learn so much. So if you are somewhere and there's other people from other groups, that interaction, that communication, A, it helps with the loneliness, but it also opens your mind to what are they doing in Scotland and why are people in Scotland here in Haiti doing work? Well, they they were helping build a new hospital. Oh, wow. And And so you meet lots of interesting people, random people that you then become friends with, or at least you know. I now Facebook friends with a gal from Scotland that was there and follow her as she does her global work. And so it's really quite exciting to, to spend time so outside of that introvert shell a little bit into at least sitting at mealtime and finding out people's stories. And if somebody's really interested, if I really go up to you and I'm really interested, 
I will hear a lot because we want to talk about who we are and how we got to the middle of nowhere in Africa or the middle of nowhere in Pakistan. Like, what brought you here? What, how did God guide you? That's always a question that people want to answer, I believe. And so, you know, how did God bring you here as you do your short-term trip or whatever? How did God bring you here? What's the story behind it? And it opens up a, a wonderful conversation. So I would encourage you for, as we think about the loneliness or um, that kind of think broader. And yes, you were there for maybe this reason, but there's lots of other reasons God maybe has you there that you may not know about. Um, I'll do the benefits here. This is from Jake. Benefits. What the Apostle Paul says is very true. In singleness, we're completely free to devote our whole selves to ministry. I find on my team that our singles have stronger relationships with nationals because we are more free to invest the time and energy necessary to form and develop those relationships. Also, if the single missionary has the right support network, I see them being more adaptable and flexible with situation, when situations change on the field. For example, the security situation in our country changed rapidly over the period of a year. Many of our families left since they felt obliged to protect their children, but all of us singles, seven adults stayed on the field as they felt they were more free to risk their lives. So, interesting perspective on, a, on the benefit, um, because when, especially when there's children involved. So, if God calls you to be single, there are some benefits if you're working, especially in, in higher risk countries. And you're only there because God called you there. It's not there because, I guess I'm single, I guess I could go to Iraq and work. That's, no, I'm not saying that, okay? I'm saying that if, you're, if God calls you to Iraq and you're single, great. But if not, you just don't choose the hardest country to go to just because you're single, okay? You, this is where your team comes in. No one's an island unto themselves. You're sending church. You're sending community. You're sending people. Um, they are all, the, all there helping you, guiding you through the steps as you are seeking God's will. And th- there may be some wisdom in, uh, no, you, are you sure this is what God's saying to you? And then listening to the elders of the church, listening to what God's saying to you, so that you really are certain that when you're ready to come home, like that student in Kenya was ready to come home, but you can stand, God, I know that you have me here and you will take me through this bit of loneliness or this bit of problem that I'm in. Because if you're not 100% certain that this is where God wants you, it's going to be extremely difficult to work through all the situations that come your way that you can't even imagine or train for when you're in another country. One of the loneliest times that I was, was I got a letter from my dad, and he wasn't a big letter writer, but he said to me, I wish you were here eating ice cream and raspberries with me. That's kind of a thing in my family. Oh, I was like devastated. I wished I was there, too. I wished I could have transported myself back. I had, you know, when you live without four years without raspberries, it's a long time, <laughs> and they're not, they don't exist in my part of um, 
um, DRC. So, but it's sometimes that it hits you like you would have never expected, but it hits you. But because you know where you are and why you are there, God sustains you. Let's get a couple more questions. Um, let me just, uh, there's something that's in my heart. When we talk about safety and stuff, and Carrie said being in the center of God's will is the safest place. Well, it may not be the personal safest place. Um, one of my co-workers, she was the baby single missionary at Tinlick, and she was killed in a car accident. Children ran out in front of her, and she avoided it and flipped her vehicle and killed her. And I was privileged to bring her body home to Indiana to her family. Um, my co-worker Jennifer and her worker, uh, fellow work Shelley were in Lagos, Nigeria, and they had a home invasion armed robbery by four men six weeks after arriving there. And as Shelley put it, being in the center of God's will may not be the safest place, but it's the best place. So you have to be smart, but also sometimes God allows things to happen. And then you just, if you know, as Barbara said, I mean, there were times when I was just like, I just want to go home. Um, one time I was fussing to the Lord, and he said, oh, do you want me to tell you to go home? And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, just for the day, just for the day. <laughs> um, but anyhow, I just had to say those things to encourage, you know, because our lives, it is a terrible world. Um, and, but God helps us to be light in this dark world. Um, one of the questions was adoption when single and doing missions. Have you thought about adopting? Yes, I did. Um, have you seen it work well, um, or have you seen challenges with it? Um, I haven't seen – well, I do have a – anyhow. Um, <laughs> one of our missionaries wanted to adopt, um, and it was open, uh, and by the time our mission approved it, um, uh, international adoptions had closed in Kenya. Um, so we're hoping – um, that will change. It will be only by the power of God. Um, but, you know, I think it can work if you're in a country that you can have someone um, um, help care for the child and the child can be part of your ministry. You know, because I work with children. If I had a few kids now, at Tenwick I couldn't because um, there was just too much work. So one, one of the things of being single is you have more time to work to be a part of the ministry and stuff, but it also it, it limits what you can do. So um, I think adoption can work. Um, and I sometimes when I'm even watching a movie or a show and these children are abused, I'm like, Lord, why could I have some? I wouldn't have abused them like that. But he gave me other ones um, that I'm helping that wouldn't get help. Um, I res- uh, God helped me and my team rescue a child out of the Mathari slum of Kenya. Um, he was abandoned when he was about a year old. He had some kind of brain damage that he's weak on one side. And um, then he started having seizures. A couple That was about 11 years ago. Uh, a couple years ago, he started having seizures. And two weeks ago, he broke his femur. Um, but God had us have the money to get his femur fixed right at Kijabi Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, God puts us in places to help. It might not be our own personal children or our adopted children, but he helps us to be those loving arms to those children. So that's... My sister was single, was single and adopted two children. She wasn't a missionary, but she and I had long conversations. Is this right? 
you know, is it right for a single person to even adopt? Um, that, you know, we always believe that mom and dad's together and we, is the ideal. And so we, we had robust conversations. She adopted two boys and, um, they're the joy of our families. Um, but, yeah, so there's, there are all the, there's the other questions that go along, like I can help this person, I, I'm financially stable, I can help. There are other questions that have to be answered as well. Now, I am called Grandma Barb. Um, my sister, one sister and I look very much alike, and her son has um, seven kids. And um, they started calling me Grandma Barb, and I love it. Yes, um, I'm older than her. I'm the older sister. And so, but it's fun. To be called Grandma Barb, and to, so we have that relationship. And my sister doesn't feel threatened having her grandkids call somebody else Grandma Barb. But so that I mean, that's added joy to my life as well to have these seven kids that call me Grandma. And I work with about 500 orphans, and I would love to even have a single mom or dad adopt those orphans mm-hmm. rather than being one of 300 children in a yeah. dog eat dog. Um, children's mm-hmm. home. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, yes, there's yeah. that struggle. There's Should a single parent, but when you have a family around you that can support those mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. and you're a Christian family, yep. that's way better than oh, others. Exactly, families. exactly. So there's all the questions that happen when, you know, when one is adopting, just as if you were a couple adopting or a single person adopting. So, yeah, so those, there are, those, that's a great question. There's another question? Yeah. We had a lot of questions about community. How do single missionaries find a person or persons that they can be completely honest about the struggles we face? How do you build community with families who are busy and their own family is a priority? Yeah. Uh, MKs become your nieces and nephews when you're over there. I'm called Auntie Barb. By a number of them, I've traveled great distances for their weddings, um, and maybe it helped that. And I don't know exactly if this is true or not, but they were born. They they came to the field when they were like, you know, infants, and so we were always auntie to them. And you know, the one sle- the parents would come over for game night, and he would sleep off in a closet, so it was quieter there. I mean, so you just you build it. I mean, as the team members, yes. Yeah, come on, come come on. Yep. Just stand here by me. Just stand here by me. Tell me your name and where were you in MK? I'm Janae and I was in MK in Kenya and Uganda. Okay. Um, They need you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, like, there were multiple single people that were there at the same time that became part of our family, but my siblings and I needed them just as much as they needed us. And so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, yes. There were three of us nurses one night that got to care for three children. Actually, there were four of us and we. We volunteered to babysit for three children, and so each three of us had a child that we could put to bed and pray with and everything. It was one of the high i mean I still remember that evening very well. It was just a highlight it was just fun um, being able to be there with with them at Tenwick back in the day like thirty five years ago. The singles got together and said, how can we bless the, the couples? And so for their anniversary, because there was no place to go out to eat for a very long ways and no paved road to get there, um, so we did a meal and served them a meal. If they had children, somebody babysat the children, and one person served the meal. And one of the couples, uh, their daughter was already grown, 
But their anniversary was my parents' anniversary, and it was very special to me. And they still, every time they see me, say, we remember our 23rd wedding anniversary when you singles served us a meal and just loved on us. And we made them dress up. Um, we took care of the kit. But, you know, think of things to do. I mean, now I can get Domino's delivered to my apartment door in Nairobi. So it's a whole different world. Yeah, yeah. So on the issue of just community in general, we were made for community. And God knows that that is a need because he put that need in us. And he will meet your need in community. But sometimes he doesn't meet that until you are actively making that community. And I just had a conversation with a new single on the field last week. And she was saying, how do I find community? Well, you have to build it. Um, If you sit by those busy families might forget that you are waiting for them to invite you over for pizza night. So why don't you invite them to your house? Or why don't you invite yourself over? Um, You will be surprised at how open people are. I called a mom a couple weeks ago. Her older kids were in the village with her husband. She was home nursing baby, a toddler, a a five-year-old. She was at home by herself all week. I really wanted to spend time with her. She doesn't drive. I knew she couldn't bring the kids, so I called her up. I said, can I come over and have tea with you? And she said, why don't you come for lunch? That was a score for me. I didn't have to make lunch that day and had a wonderful time getting to know her. So I just really want to encourage you, build community where you are in the States, build it overseas, and God is going to give you ideas, opportunities, but sometimes you might need to make that effort or at least that initial step. Um, look outside of yourself, see who you can minister to, and you will be greatly blessed by those that you minister to. We often got groups of people coming through where I was working, and we had a um, single missionary come um, for several months, and she wanted nothing to do with any of the singles. It's almost like if I hang around with them, uh, I might stay single. Um, she only wanted to be with the couples. It was very obvious, and she didn't adjust well because I don't think she was content within herself. So and so she it was it was an interesting few months as she was there, and then she came back. But um, it was the only one. On the, uh, it was the only single person that, that ever came and did work with us. That that was such a glaring issue for her and so I don't think that she had really um, wasn't content in herself she thought that she needed other people but certainly not single people because and it was difficult even to have that conversation then like how can we help you or and because she just didn't want it so um, that was an unusual situation but it really sticks out in my mind when we when I'm talking about singleness and then I always think about this one case. and So I don't know what we could have done differently or what she needed to do differently. But, yeah, so there, is, there are people who don't adapt to singleness, too, overseas especially. Yes? Can you come up here, please? <laughs> okay. I'm Trina. Trina? Um, so I'm single. Um, I've been in the field for 10 years. Where? Uh, lots of places. Lots of places, okay. Yeah. South Sudan for a long time and okay. several places. But I didn't ever get lonely in the field, but it's really lonely coming back. 
And so if you're, yeah, definitely way worse to come back and be single. So if you're even home churches and people are coming back and they are by themselves, it's, one, you feel very out of place, but then, two, it's really, really hard to make connections, especially if you're a bit older. I think I was... I knew it would be hard, but I had this expectations of, you know, when I was in my 20s and I would go to a church and there would be an automatic group of friends, but it doesn't happen when you're a little bit older. Anybody want to ask her a question about that? I think that's a great, I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So we're intended to be in community. Um, sometimes it is easier to be overseas and because they, their expectations are different. You're, you're going to live in community, there's, especially if there's a group of people. And when you're in healthcare, often you're not just running a clinic off way away by yourself. You're more where you have the hospital or um, you're more based with other people. So, yeah. so um JT says, in general, Africans view singleness very negatively after a certain age, although they seem to have the capacity to make exceptions for Americans, realizing that our customs are different. So I occasionally get comments from new acquaintances. However, my real friends know my convictions, and I feel very supported by them. Yeah. Um. Uh, kind of what we had mentioned before about culturally it's okay. You guys are different anyway, so that's, that's part of part of it. Um. In, in Kenya, um, in the Kipsugis culture where I started at Tenwick, if a, a woman was not seen as an adult unless she was married or had had a child and not necessarily one before the other. Um, and so then I was kind of like, okay, so what do you guys think of me? You know, and they're like, oh, well, you know, you're American. Um, but some of them also thought we were having sex. Um, one, of, one of my Kenyan friends said, you know, he was somewhere, and they were like, well, they have birth control, you know, and that's why they're not getting pregnant. And he was like, let me tell you, those women are not having sex. You know, and I've talked in groups and stuff and said, you know, I, I, I've never had sex. And they're kind of like, whoa. Is that possible? It is, you know. And I tell him, do I look abnormal? Well, you know. <laughs> That's a loaded question, yeah. Yeah. Um, my title for my the course I did, not the course, but the class was Single, Celibate, and Satisfied. Because, you know, when you're going to do some, about the third time through I was doing it, I was like, I have some title. <laughs> and, you know, you have to have alliteration in there. So Single, Celibate, and, and um, Satisfied. But it is true. Most people in the U.S. would never believe anybody could stay single and celibate all of their life. That's not an expectation anymore. Not even in our local churches, unfortunately. In the local church, it's not really an expectation. I mean, it is, but it isn't. So, being faithful to the Word of God as part of your singleness, is also very important. And so it's one of those subjects that often doesn't get t- brought up and talked about, but it is possible for both men and women to be celibate and not gay. <laughs> yes, I mean, th- that's a common idea that they're not married, they're gay. And actually... Um, um, when I think of my, it's harder for me to be single and not gay here 
because the expectation is if you're not married, then you're gay. Whereas in Africa, they don't put the two together. You know, you, I don't get the questions. I don't get the what people are thinking there that, oh, they're probably just gay. Because, or they're whatever initials you want to put behind it. American friends. For the most part, my American friends are very supportive. Of course, when I do tours in churches, I get lots of comments from people. Lots of people wanting to set me up with some young woman they know. That gets annoying. Ha ha. Oh, yeah, I, I remember. Oh, this one lady was going to pray me married. She really was. She was going to pray me married. And um, her, her prayers weren't answered. <laughs> But, you know, like, but that was a church that, uh, upstate New York when I was speaking, and that was, I mean, you're such a nice person. Why aren't you married? I mean, you will hear, ever hear that? Oh, I heard from somebody, you know, I just can't believe this other single missionary working with you is not married. And I was like, yeah, well. And there's often no answer one can give that you can give out loud. If you want to keep your support up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, who needs, yeah. Um, Let's do some more questions if we have some more. We want to kind of get through the questions, so. What are the differences between life in the field and role of a single missionary versus that of a married couple? A husband? No, a single. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between, okay, versus the married couple? Mm-hmm. Lots of differences? Um, I don't know where to start. Um, I think we have a harder time, single people have a harder time build, building community because we don't have a natural children. You know, I will, you know, they go into a park somewhere or they go to a, people are, oh, your children and, you know, here are my children. And so the, the children really help bridge that, um, relate, building a relationship with local, with local people. Um, so I think that would be one of the big differences, especially if this, the married couple had children. Um, it would be, um, it's maybe harder to break through into community, depending on what your role is. Um, if you're teaching English as a second language, people prob- you have people coming to you, and then you probably can connect easier that way. Um, in healthcare, you have a lot of people you're caring for, but it's hard to build relationships because then they all leave, they leave when they're when they feel better. Um, so you have to figure out the local church that you're involved in and do some community building through the local church. Um, Where I live, it's still a pretty remote uh, place, even in the capital city. And I have seen that it's often the husbands that are out doing ministry and the work and the moms or the wives are staying home, either taking care of the children or the house. And I've noticed that single women really have a role in ministry um, and even at the clinic at work um, in the medical field because we don't have those obligations at home like a married woman would. So I have seen a lot of... um, 
in general, the single women have a much bigger mission field. Um, where I live, because we have the time um, and we have the ability to go out and build those relationships and learn the language. Oh, I see a lot of women struggling to learn the language when they have children at home or if they're just taking care of the house, if that is one of their main roles. So I see that as a really big difference in a married woman versus a single woman. I think, I think we women um, single, we have to we have to do it all, and you know. So sometimes it's hard when you see someone who you don't think is maybe working as hard as you. Um, you know, it's like I would like to not have to work every day. You know, um, but as a single person you, in America or overseas, you don't have that option uh, if you want to eat and have a place to stay. So you know, there's I think too just appreciating. Um, one thing our mission did um, was a personality thing, helping understand why some people drive you nuts and why you drive people, some people nuts, and um, to understand different personalities and just um, embrace what God has called us differently to. Um, because sometimes I've looked at some of the married women and I'm like, she's a nurse and we've got... 400 patients in this hospital and we need a nurse, <laughs> you know, but they're not working in the hospital. Um, so, you know, you have to just learn to deal with those things, but the roles are very different. Um, and some families embrace um, singles and some do not. And so if they don't, then try to love them and just move on. But, um, you know, and sometimes they say hurtful things, um, you know, or act like singles are kind of second class. Um, but just remember who you are. And I guess my, my encouragement to you is Jesus is enough. Um, and if he's, like she said, we've said, if God has called you, just cling to him um, and that call in your differences. Did you want to say something? Yeah, I just... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I've been married for 30 years. I've been a missionary for about 20 and I came just to make sure I wasn't missing the boat on single missionaries. We've made people part of our family, etc., in our country in South Africa. And um, it's, I agree, like, boy, my wife doesn't take some risks that some of our single missionary women do, in part because she's a mother. And people would just be like, no, you can't do that. Horrified. So certain freedoms are lost for married people. Um, did you ever do a neogram as a personality thing? You found it really helpful. Anyway, I came to make sure I wasn't missing some boat today. And I just marvel at single missionaries, mostly they're women where I've been. And just, you know, it's, and everyone loves them where we are. They're part of everyone's family. Thank you. Thank you. I think the comment about learning the language is really critical, and we've not really talked about learning a language here. Um, the mission organization I went with I spent a year in France to learn French and then studied tropical medicine in French in Belgium and then went and had to learn another language using French. Um, but six hours a day I had to study. I had to document my time. I had tests I had to pass. You had to be fluent in um, French and Kikongo, and then I moved and had to learn a little bit of Lingala, which I really never had to use much. But um, as you're looking for 
groups to go with. And as you're going through these, all these booths out here um, trying to find an organization, one of the key questions would be, what do you require for language? And if they say, oh, like three months and then you're good to go, mm, you need to know the heart language of the local country that you're going to work in if you want to have a good relationship and build community with local people. Um, I have a friend who is in um, Cambodia now, uh, married with two kids, and um, she's learning the Cambodian language, and she will do her writing using Cambodian. And she's, I mean, it's phenomenal to see the hard work, I mean, every day, the her hard work, to know the language so that she can speak the heart language to the people that she's there, that God has called her to. So language learning is critical. Um, and that might not be one of your top questions to ask, but I would say that's a top question. How committed is the sending organization that you become fluent in the main language and even in the second language if necessary? And yes, I'm too old to learn a language, or it's too hard, I'm not a good language learner. I've heard them all. Um, Europeans from the get-go, and the majority of us come from Europe, we're Euro-Americans, so we have the same genes as they do to learn languages. You know, the one couple, when I was in French language school, they were Dutch and they had studied in Germany and they spoke English fluently and then they were learning French and then they learned Kikongo and then they learned Lingala. And they didn't have a gene different than mine, really, but it's an expectation. I mean, we just don't expect people to learn another language in this country, really. I mean, for me to go through high school and become fluent in three languages. China now, they, kids from first, second, third grade, they're all learning English. So they're automatically everybody's being tracked to learn another language. And we haven't gotten that desire here because many of us would say, oh, I can't learn another language. And we believe it. And it's, it's hard work. It's not easy. It's um, a lot of work. But how long did it take you to learn your language? Um, I'm working on my second language. The first language I learned was French because that's a medical language. And it's a lifelong yeah. process. I'm communicable. But uh, I think to get But not to contagious. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're into what language? I'm learning a local dialect of Arabic right now. Mm-hmm. And are you learning to write in it? I, I will be. Yes. Yeah. Quick question. Uh, would you recommend uh, learning the bulk of the language before being sent? Because, like, I'm in med school right now, and they don't really have a language part of the curriculum, but I want to be sent, like, right after residency, or learning the language while you're in the country. Depends, depends where you're going. Okay. Um, where I'm at, uh, you couldn't really learn the local dialect outside of the country, but I learned French before I went so that I could jump right into the medical work. So I say it really depends on where you're going and also what your organization expects of you to learn the language. And if you go and start working as a physician with a translator, you won't learn the language. So you really need to know the key language before you go or that they put you off in, the, in a dark cavern somewhere to only do language learning for a year. I mean, it, it's... 
it's just hard work, and I can't imagine having to do healthcare work, medical work at the same time as learning to adapt to another culture and getting people adjusted in another culture, and then on top of that, learning a language. So it really is beneficial, and I'm a believer in, um, I'm also a believer in a little bit of practice stateside before one goes overseas. Um, And I say that to nursing students all the time, and they just want to head overseas. And I've had people disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But I really think that you need to have solid skills to go overseas. But I think learning the language is just so critical that you you take the time and the effort to do that so that you can be a really effective. Just on that note, in some creative access countries like where I live, um, you do have to work and do language at the same time, so that is why I'm learning the local dialect. Um, but I have tried to cut back my working hours as much as is culturally acceptable to keep a visa so that I can focus on the local language. So that is a really important right. point. Yep. I learned it as I, I, I was a short-termer. I, um, when I first went to Tenwick, I was a short-termer, so I didn't. Ha- uh, we had an hour a day after lunch, and we're doing a lot of night call as well, so it was just a little bit. Um, so, but I'm a talker, and I'm not a perfectionist, so I just would say, okay, you know, let's learn today. Is the child vomiting? You know, and then I would try it, and they'd laugh, and I'd say, okay, it's okay. You know, and then so I learned it. And then when I officially had to learn language, um, a few years later, I said, well, let me do Swahili. But I didn't use it very much, and I learned it very differently. I learned it by the book. So I hear Kipsigis fast, and I speak Swahili fast. So I'm just kind of a weird brain. But, but yeah, it is, and the people love it. You know, Mm -hmm. even when I use Swahili, um, they say at the store, you know, I'll say something in Swahili so because I've said it in English and they didn't catch it, so I'll say it in Swahili. And they're like, oh, your Swahili is very good. And I said, oh, but my Kalanjin's better. And they're like, you speak a-? You know, they've never seen a white person who speaks. And they'll go, kibet, kibet. You know, they'll get the Kalanjin at the store. And they'll go, she speaks a-. You know, so I'll stand and talk to them, and they're all just going. So it's very fun. It also is important to know language so that um, as they're talking about you in the store or something, and then you respond to them or at the hospital, or they respond. Uh, But it's also awkward knowing another language. I was in um, Miami Airport, and next to me was a couple arguing very vehemently in French. And I could understand it was, like, really uncomfortable. So I slid my napkins on the floor. I bent over kind of in their space, and I said, excuse me, in French. And it kind of, like, solved the, their, their discussion. And, but it, it, so it is cool to know another language. And if, even if you only know five words and you say it, they think, oh, how much do they really know? And so, so yeah. And on that note, it also helps with the safety issue, mm-hmm. um, going to the water company, dealing with everyday life, mm-hmm. being able to understand the language. You can really tell what what's actually happening um, because, let's face it, as Americans in a lot of these developing countries, they're going to try to either rip you off or do things that um, they wouldn't do to their own people. So there's also a safety aspect to learning the language. Mm-hmm. So here are some of Jake's final thoughts. One of the key things I've discovered in my own singleness journey is that God never gives a vocation of no. In other words, God isn't calling you 
simply to say no to things, marriage, relationship, intimacy. God's call and the vocation he gives to us are always a call to something. There is a glorious yes in God's call. So whether you are content being single or not, you need to discover this yes. Live in the yes and relish it. Don't dwell in the no. The no is simply the means by which you can live out God's yes for you in the world. He actually had a blog for a while, for a long time. He's very funny on it, but he's had to kind of stop that just because of some security issues. But yes, he, he really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As there's more questions, yeah. Mm-hmm. What to do when you have a calling as a single to one place? You meet and start dating someone who has a calling to another place. Mm. <laughs> Okay, my first question is, was that calling on a piece of paper from heaven that you know definitely that that was the calling for both of you? Um, I actually was very good friends with a guy from my local church, and he was headed to Wycliffe, and I was headed towards missions as well. So there was, you know, some interest in potentially working together, right? And, um, and, then, and then one day, he decided he was going to be an insurance agent in the United States. And um, we stayed good friends. We have stayed good friends. He has since passed away. But um, I, I just knew that that wasn't an option for me to stay in the United States and be married to an insurance agent. Um, because God was definitely calling me to missions. I know the farmer. Yeah. Yeah. Now now you're really getting the nitty-gritty. No, but I thank God for that relationship um, because, you know, I I knew somebody wanted me. I mean, Mm -hmm. that helped me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but um, he's also gone to glory. And we're still both alive. So I had a friend, she was living in North Africa, and she was dating and is now married to her husband, who was working at the time in Asia. And I asked her this question directly, and she said, well, I know for this season God has called me here, and I know he has called my boyfriend at the time to Asia for this season, but we believe that if God is calling us to go together as a couple, um, that calling is just as important, and he will show us where he's calling us together. And they're actually working in Louisville right now with refugees and still praying about where God is going to send them together as a couple to another location. Mm-hmm. And God has wonderful plans. And um, there's a, a couple stories that these actually happened um, and how God orchestrates things. Um, there was a missionary on this side of Congo and a missionary on this side of Congo, both single, one a man, one a woman. And this one had to go over to a conference for a lot of people, and they spent a week together. And then they, she was on the plane to leave, and the plane had a t- flat, I'll say a flat tire, had a mechanical problem. So she had to spend longer, and they fell in love, and then they got married. <laughs> so it wasn't, I mean, it was only because... Either they weren't listening well or something, but, you know, there was an issue. And so, I mean, that, who would have thought, okay? And when I was in Gabon, I went to Gabon on sabbatical, and um, so there was a single lady there, and um, she'd been visiting her sister up in Niger, I think it was. 
and when she came back, she started talking on the a two-way on a two-way radio back and forth, and you could hear her in the house and everything. She'd met somebody up there, uh, a single missionary. So they did their communication over a two-way radio, and now they're married. Um, and she'd been single on the field probably 15 to 20 years, and then she just went to visit a sister and. Now, the, the first couple I talked about, they had these radios as well, but they had to have an intermediary. So, you know, that, like that, yes, uh-huh. And real personal, deep conversations <laughs> happened, I'm certain. But anyway, married, they're living in Minnesota now, I mean, and they have, do a lot of mission stuff. Um, she's my age, and so they've had two children. But, so God places you somewhere, and if his will is, he can orchestrate all sorts of things to accomplish his will. Um, I mean, in that, I mean, and then my last story was somebody on the field with me, and this is, I mean, this is really truth, and I've told this before, but this lady that was my housemate, um, Cheryl, she got an email, she got a letter, email, I think email, I don't, we don't get letters, but she got a letter handwritten, and this guy said, will you marry me? And literally, that was her first contact. And he, he was Filipino and living in Ohio, and he, his wife died. He had several children, and he said to good friends of his who happened to be Congolese, do you know any single missionary that I could marry? And they said, oh, yeah, you should meet Cheryl. So he prayed about it, and he wrote her this letter. And um, needless to say, like, stirred a lot of, like, conversations, like, really, who is this guy? And, you know, then the Congolese couple got in contact with her. And um, so we drove eight hours to the telephone so he could talk to her. And when she came down the steps, she floated down, and I thought, she's in love. (laughs) And she was in love, (laughs) literally. Came home, she eventually, you know, Decided she was getting married. She was Canadian, but they, she was coming back. Oh, okay. So she was coming back here, and when he met her for the first time, he gave her the pen he had written the proposal with. I mean, he was a romantic at heart, literally. <laughs> but anyway, um, she had her one and only child right before she turned thir- 40. Um, and so when he, they got married, will you take her... This guy, this man, his children, to be your, yes, yes, and so got married. Like, who would have thought? I mean, who could have orchestrated that but God to say, here, your first proposal, your first contact. Now, I'm not saying that, I mean, these are three out of my lifetime of working. And so, I mean, God does these really strange things when, as he's doing it. I, I was told, um, everybody tells me, well, don't give up. And I said, oh, I have it. Don't worry. But, um, <laughs> but they told me um, about this single missionary, and she was retired. And um, friends of hers, the wife died, and she just wrote the husband saying, you know, I'm very sorry. Ended up, they got together. And at 82, she got married for the first time. And after they kissed, she turned around and winked at the crowd. And I said, ooh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I I do say at this time in my life that God will really have to put a rock and a message and say, this is the guy for you. Because, I mean, like, at this point in my life, I have, you know, I don't really think about it. I mean, I'm just doing what I'm doing for God. And so, but it has to be like, 
something upside the head that said, yeah, you're going to get married. And it's like, oh, okay. But, I mean, so it's, it, it's always possible. Yes. Can you come? Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Judy. Um, so I kind of have a follow-up question for you with the waiting and the hoping. Um, how do you kind of live in that place where you're not sure if, you know, getting married is going to be something that God has for you, if staying single is going to be something that God has for you, and you're, like, hoping for it, but you also don't want to be distracted where you are? Like, how do you deal with kind of that hope and, like, whether I should have that hope or should I just, like, let it die and, like, not be distracted, <laughs> you know, not be distracted, and then if it happens, then it happens. Like, how do you balance that? Maybe the, well, I think there's always hope. I mean, like, I would say don't let it die. I mean, I, I would. I mean, because you don't know. I mean, like, the missionary stories I've told you, they probably would have never been able to write their story. And, but when God provided... There was, st- there was still enough to say, yes, I'm interested. I, I'm moving forward. Because Cheryl could have just said, oh, this is, like, too crazy. I'm not going to. But so, so I, there's always a little hope. I mean, but if you pine, I guess if you're going to spend all your time, every time you see a guy, is that the hope I have? I mean, <laughs> you know, the, I don't really mean to be funny. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's just hard then. Because then you're never really saying, focusing on what God really wants you to do. Well, and they had a thing out of Harvard, I think it was. Now, they said it wasn't true. But that at, after a certain age, women were more likely to be in a terrorist attack then. And I said, oh, then get married. And I'm like, well, I'm really high on the terrorist attack list. <laughs> but, oh, now you're you know, more likely yeah. to get hit by a train or something. I've heard that one. You're more likely now to get hit by a train. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm 35 um, and single still, but I want to just say there's a difference between hope and obsession when it comes to your singleness. Um, I hope that one day I will be able to be a mom and a wife, but it's not something I obsess about, and it may not be something God has for me. And I think it also comes down to do I trust God enough to provide for my every need, and do I trust him to know the absolute best for my life? And uh, sometimes I trust him more than I do others. Uh, but I just want to share a quick story. I, the house phone um, in my city, at uh, my house, uh, rang. And I answered, and I was talking to this person. They wanted the bank. And I said, well, it's not the bank. And he switched to English and said, oh, are you American? I'm like, yeah, that's how bad my French was at the time. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up having a 15-minute conversation on the phone. He was in Vienna. I was in North Africa. He was coming for a business trip. Um, we met up for dinner because there's not a lot to do in my city for fun. And he knew that and said, well, hey, let's hang out. We're both pretty extroverted. Don't worry, I did it safety. I let people know. I took a friend with me. We went out for dinner. Um, he was not a believer. Uh, we had a great time together. He left, never saw him again, probably never will. But that was one of those things that I think God used in my life to say, hey, listen, I can really put people together in any context. That was just a time to go out for dinner. That was nothing. I was certainly not thinking romantically at all. But it was just encouraging that really anything can happen. It's not outside of God's realm. Can I ask something? You're the Canadian? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hi. Um, I'm Annette. I'm a respiratory therapist. 
so woo. Um, and I work at Tenwick. I've been there for nine years now. I'm single. Um, I work, first went out for six months as a volunteer, and I had that question going through my mind of, and I was all of 23. Um, but okay, is God calling me long term to Kenya? What's this going to look like? And I realized the biggest thing holding me back was I thought, if I go to Kenya, I may be single for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so that was that barrier that God wanted me to deal with of what will this look like? And so I was, went back to Canada, I was toying with this, and I had a friend at work go, well, you might stay single if you live in Canada, too. Um, which was really encouraging. Um, <laughs> but it was a way of looking at it, of God can provide anyway, like your story, right? Um, and But for me it was... I need to decide to be okay with being single. This is where God wants me to be. God is big enough. He is good enough. He is best, right? And so I kind of laughed because one of my roles at Tenwick is to screen the short-term visitors. So if you've applied to come, I may have read your application. And every once in a while I start reading and go, ooh, let me go back up and read this application again. How old is he? (laughs) But I'm not doing that to everyone. Um, But, so, am I still hoping, thinking? Yes, but am I desperate? I hope not. I don't think I am, right? And so it it is a little bit of a balance. Um, But I think, for me, it was being okay with being single. And I ended up, a friend of a friend said, you're single and in Kenya, and I know a guy, and he's Canadian and single in Kenya, you guys should meet. And so we quasi-dated, hung out a few times. And I thought, well, if this goes somewhere, can I still do what I do? Can I still work in the hospital? Can I still be on call 24-7 if I have, you know, get married and have children? And I wasn't really ready to give that up. Um, And so that was kind of affirming. So thank you for letting me Mm -hmm. have a board. So there, there are more women in the world than there are men. I mean, that's a given. So unless you believe in polygamy or something, there always will be single people, women, and, and, and men, and men. There will also be single men. So there were more questions. Yeah. Um, Better get to these questions. So how we... do you decompress outside of the mar- or marriage or family context? Um, I lived at Tenwick for 23 years, and it was intense. And so a lot of us would exercise after work, and we would walk. And we'd walk and talk. And it was like, oh, this one did this one. Yeah, this doctor did this. this is, you know. and, and then it you just blew away. Then God moved me to Nairobi, and I was alone for um, many years. And I didn't have that um, same um, context, so I had to find it, you know. And thank God um, it wasn't $8 a minute to call home, you know, to call friends in the U.S. Or, you know, and then find those people who I could get away uh, with. I can't walk safely very far from my home, so I have an exercise bike, and I sing praise music, <laughs> and I'm no singer. But my, <laughs> I got a feeling some of my neighbors have heard a little bit. But, oh, well, uh, preach the gospel, however. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you do have to find that, because if you don't decompress, you'll, you'll explode, mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. then it's a mess. And also, like our mission, um, the last 10 years, has really ramped up their member care. Um, and they're really uh, preaching Sabbath, taking mm. time 
away from work, and we're on call 24-7 for, you know, these 500 kids, um, but we have to take time, or we... And one thing I found out is that I need to leave Kenya at least once, if not twice a year, so that I don't get called all the time and have people, you know, messaging me, because I can turn off my phone. Um, so and live for a week um, but you know I just thank God that he helps us understand how we need to deal with things um, so find out how that is and and then and if you need to ask help like when I was first a missionary and I you know when you come home extra it's it, you have to pay you know, mm-hmm. the mission it's not part of your support mm-hmm. and so it was expensive and um like when my father was dying, my church paid for my ticket home. Um, so if you need help, you know, have a team that will help you. Um, and I've been very blessed in that. But um, let people know and find somebody who you're safe with, even if you have to call home to Amer- your other home. Because you'll have two homes and they're miles apart mm-hmm. and culturally apart. But God blesses you with both those homes. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I think for singles is it is okay to say no. I've noticed in a marriage relationship, often the wife can say, oh, let me check with my husband or vice versa. Let me check with my wife and I'll get back to you. When you're single, you don't really have to check with anyone about your schedule. It's still okay to say, let me get back to you about that. And that's something I've learned to help have some margin. And most of the time I still say yes, but it gives me the freedom to think about it and just make sure is this is this something good that I should be doing? And also, like was already said, know yourself and know how you need to decompress. Um, if I'm working from home and doing an admin day, I know by the end of seven hours I'm going to need to be around people. So I already look at my schedule the week ahead and schedule time that night to go have dinner with another single or spend time with a family. Or worst case scenario, offer some to babysit so I can be around some kids. But um, I just know that about myself. So just really know what you need to do to decompress and be proactive. And have some rituals that you do or some kind of some standard things. Um, when I was in DRC on Friday night, we went to the Portuguese club. Um, they had a pool there, and, but they had great samosas and different food. And so, I mean, and all the singles and the couples went, and it was just a great time. And so pretty much we planned that. So having some, just some regular times of, uh, that you can look forward to as well. Um, in wherever you happen to be, if that's a possibility, it was for us at that time. So, one last question. One last question? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's one last question. I think this was asked by one of the married um, people in here. How do married people make your life better? They include us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, when the kids would come home from RBA at Tenwick, the first night home was like sacred. Um, you know, you didn't bother the families. You didn't, you know, that was their family time. And I remember one time coming home through somebody's home to hug the kids that had just got home. And they were like, oh, stay for supper. And I'm like, no, I'm not allowed to stay for supper. This is your first, the kids' first night home. And they're like, no, you can stay for supper. I'm like, no, no. And one of the kids locked the door, and they're like, you're staying for supper. (laughs) But that family was one who are still very dear, um, and their kids are still very dear to me, and their grandkids, you know, um, because they included me. um, And a couple times 
that same family, I, w- I would be thinking, oh, I just need somebody, you know, tonight. And the wife would call and say, hey, want to come over for supper? And, and it was like, she got a message from God. Thank you. <laughs> you know? But, but that's, that's how Mary, you know, including us, not being afraid of us, um, and letting us love on your children. I, I just love our MK. Um, our, our mission actually has what they call the MK Youth Coordinator. So, and I've been that a lot of years, and I get to go to RVA and take food. Now I take Domino's Pizza to my MKs and stuff. So it's just fun being with the children uh, when we don't have our own. So thank you. Um, one couple, yes? My name is Mindy. I'm a resident physician up in Ohio. But something that uh, I, I think is always helpful is when people are able to um, really encourage you and congratulate you about the other things going on in your life that aren't related to relationships. Um, I remember when I got accepted into residency, I was super excited, and my pastor was very well-meaning, but he was like, oh, and then when you're out there, maybe you'll meet a guy, and then you can let us know. And it was just, it was almost disappointing, because it was like, this is unrelated to relationships, and it's something that's very meaningful to me, and that I'm very excited about. And so, um, realizing, you know, that there's a lot going on in our lives that aren't related to relationships that are still um, significant accomplishments and very meaningful to us and goals that we've had and things that we've worked for and just coming alongside us and being um, encouraging to us in those times um, and celebrating with us, even if it has nothing to do with the guy. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Um, One couple in DRC he knew a lot more about computers. Now, we're back in the 1980s, so um, this was a long time ago. And so I w- he, he would come and clear off my computer for me. I'd do try to figure out what was going on. And then he was always my go-to person. So you have to have people that can help you when you don't have the skills as well. And so that's, I've, I've, I have found, besides having the wonderful relationships, I mean, they have great wisdom. Married couples have great wisdom that, to help you work through, talk through different situations, help do some different things. Um, when you're working as a team and you're praying together as a team, um, that, that builds the relationship, that builds the friendship. Um, it, it's just very meaningful and, and long-lasting, as I've, as I've mentioned. They're long-lasting relationships. Uh, Probably more so than, um, you know, some of the relationships I've had in the States because people kind of cycle through, not family members, but but the relationships I built back then seem to be longer and during. And if I haven't seen them for five years, we pick up right where we started off because we have such a history together. You have a shared knowledge because people don't fully understand who you are because they never saw you in another another location they only know you as being here in the u.s and so if you can have family members come and visit you in your location uh, um, that's phenomenal because then they have a better idea what it actually means that you are doing um, that you are doing ministry and what you know they may be very surprised at how competent their family member is because they don't see that 
necessarily in their role, uh, their professional role. They see you competent as a family member, but in your professional role, if it's all overseas, they don't get a chance to see that. So it really helps if you can get some visitors from home to come. That was our last question. Yes? This is open mic time. <laughs> you are being recorded, though. I'm Jennifer, and I work with Robin and Kenyon. One thing I know that's helped me is try to maintain some traditions, like Thanksgiving. You know, it's not a holiday in Kenya, but we try to block that day off. And, like, with going to the couples, you know, last year it was just Robin and myself that were in Nairobi. All of our other teams were not there who we usually would get together with. And so a missionary with another agency, um, she's a good friend of my aunt's, and she invited her and her husband invited us over with their interns for Thanksgiving. And we had the best time. Robin didn't even know her. we just go to her house and show up. And so I think, you know, interagency inter- um, co- cooperation, if you're lucky to have in the same, you know, community where just because you're different with different groups, you can still get together and, you know, make those milestones. And it, you know, just made me appreciate, you know, getting to celebrate with other Americans, you know, mm-hmm. the holiday that is important that just because you're overseas doesn't mean you have to miss out. Yep. You might be a little, you might cook a chicken instead of a turkey mm-hmm. or you have to get a little creative, but yeah. Yeah. I think what my, my parting shot would be, you know, don't wait till you're on the field um, to do these things, too. You know, find community. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody I know MKs sometimes struggle because they've lived all over the place. Um, so if you know MKs at your church, you know, invite them in, you know. But don't just keep thinking, well, when I go, when I go. You know, do things now um, mm-hmm. to be healthy so that you're continuing your healthiness overseas. And when the MKs are in the States, you can still have a role. Um, there was uh, one of them, a couple of sisters went to our nursing program, and so the younger one, I, she rode up to church with me regularly, and I helped her with her English. Um, she would say, how do you say this? Because she studied all in Spanish. She was from Chile. And so she studied all in Spanish, and so English was a little bit of a second language, and so we'd be talking away, and she would say something, and she says, that's not quite right. How do I say that? And so I found that I was helping her integrate back into the States and be part of, so she didn't stick out when she said these, used a a Spanish word translated into English that doesn't really mean the same thing that we would say in English. Does that make sense? And so that's a role that I still have um, as I work with MKs. I don't work with them quite as much in my role now, but that is still a role that we can play as we're back home and, and working with people. So Our time is almost up. I thank you. Um, I trust that This has answered some of your questions and probably raised a lot more questions, but um, we'll be here for a few more minutes. Let me just close in prayer for us. Father, you have called us, and you will care for us. You will guide us. You will direct us. You will make a way before us. And so I would pray that as everybody, we all process this information, that you would be honored and glorified and and that we would continue to seek your face. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.